the sun was glinting on the river and Mount Hood was looming in the distance. And it was just one of those fresh spring days where it feels like everything is just beginning. So even though I was just leaving my suburban house to run some errands, it felt just special, like a special morning somehow. So normally my car would have been filled with the sound of the radio. Um, and I would have been listening to the news on this constant loop as I drove around town. But that particular morning I knew my radio was broken and I was going to have to get around to getting that fixed. So I drove in silence. In fact, it was incredibly silent in the car. Uh, to the point where I wondered, is it always this quiet and I just <laughs> never notice it? Um, and maybe because it was so quiet around me, um, I was aware of this incredible noise in my head, the noise of all the thoughts bumping around inside. Um, and I had this kind of super awareness of, of the passage of thoughts through my head. And so it went something like this. Wow, what a beautiful view, and I just love the trees in bloom. You know, the plums and the cherries. I just love seeing that. And then a minute passed, and, and then I thought, God, we have got to get those trees pruned. You know? um, how did I let it get by me this year? And then another minute passed, and, and then I thought, and the gutters. I mean, I can't even remember the last time we cleaned the gutters. So then I was reaching over beside me to grab a pen out of my purse and some paper so I could write down these things that I needed to do. And then I just started laughing because I realized I turned this beautiful meditative moment into a to-do list. You know? And so I just shook my head and I, I kind of drove on and another couple of days passed and that process repeated itself again and again until I got the damn radio fixed. <laughs> and you know, it started out being kind of amusing, but as time went on, it really bummed me out because I kept taking this vast beauty of the world that was so evident in that season and turning this vast beauty into a bulleted list of duties that I had to fulfill. And that really seemed disturbing to me. And maybe a little more so, maybe I took it more to heart, because growing up I feel like I always had this really rich interior life. Um, I was alone a lot. Um, my parents were working really a lot. They were young and they were ambitious and they were kind of launching us in the world, you know. And that left me at home on my own a lot. Um, and you know, even though I had activities and friends and that sort of thing. But alone didn't really mean lonely for me. I mean, I have really good memories of those times, actually. I was an avid reader, and I really kind of uh, inhabited those worlds, you know, those worlds between the pages. Um, and the other thing I did was I wrote. Um, I would, some image would strike me, and it would just really have an impact on me, and I would just be compelled to write it down. And since I grew up in Texas, as, as they were saying, then the thing that struck me might have been as simple as the rain just pounding the ground as a hurricane passed through. Or it might have been these vast concrete overpasses and how otherworldly and eerie they look at night, you know, when they're just deserted. But whatever it was, then it would just strike me and I would have this kind of humming feeling inside and some voice would just come to me and just, 
you know, give me the words. Um, and it wasn't a voice that I would actually hear. I mean, I guess that would have been kind of creepy. But it was more like a voice that I felt. It was like the words were just there, you know, present in, in my body. And one thing that I definitely knew that felt really important was that voice was, was me. That was really me. So, um, you know, I, I went through childhood like this. I wrote, I wrote phrases, and, and they turned into stories, and I went through middle school that way, and high school, and then it was college. And in college, I had the chance to take some great writing classes, um, including one that was taught by this visiting professor, Carlos Fuentes. And as you may know, Carlos Fuentes was this lion of literature. He was a Mexican novelist, and he was part of this whole generation that reinvented the novel in Latin America. And so it was incredibly exciting to me that I got to, to take this class. And on top of it, he had this kind of presence in the classroom. You know, he was um, this, this kind of tall, very erect guy, and he had this shock of white hair. And though he was from Mexico, he spoke English in this just beautiful, eloquent, unaccented uh, voice, which was actually kind of disappointing because I, you know, I wanted the, the glamour of the Mexican accent. But nonetheless, even though I frankly wasn't crazy about his novels, um, I just, he was the first real writer, really famous writer I'd been in contact with. And so that was just amazing to me. So I took this class, and um, you know, I was I was this devoted student. I read everything that was assigned, and, and things that were just barely mentioned in class, also. And um, the semester wore on, and we started getting toward the end of, of the of the term. And the final assignment was to hand in a short story. So you know, I carefully crafted it, and and really kind of looked at this with anticipation, and I handed it in, just having no idea how this would be received. And I remember waiting for him to hand it back, you know, class after class. And then eventually it was that time and he, you know, handed them out to everybody. And um, I remember taking it in my hands and kind of looking at it. And in his big dramatic, you know, script, he had written on the cover page, A. And then under it it said, you should be published. <laughs> and I thought, wow. I mean, wow. It was like greater than great, you know? I couldn't even believe it happened. And it's one of those things, maybe like the very beginning of love, you know, where you feel like this is so great that you have to just hold it completely private, you know? And it just inside yourself for, for a little bit. And, and that's how I felt. I'm not sure I really told anyone, even. So, of course, what I should have done is gone to see him after that. Because though it's wonderful for somebody to say, you should be published, I mean, I didn't have a clue how, how to do that or what that entailed. Um, you know, I was 19 or 20 years old. So I had every intention of going to see him. But of course, I was a college student and it was getting near the end of the semester. So I had, you know, other papers and tests and commitments and, you know, time kind of rolled on. And then it seemed like just very suddenly, it was the end of the semester, and his office door was closed, and he had gone back to Mexico, and I missed this huge opportunity. And now that I look back with an adult's eyes um, on this, it's incredible to me. How could I let that opportunity go by 
with what writing had always meant to me and as much as I had loved it. I mean, there's probably a lot of complicated reasons for that, but I think fundamentally, because writing was so close to me and it was kind of how, how I breathed and how, how my heart beat, then I almost took it for granted. And we probably all have some version of that. I mean, I always, I think I always thought it'll be there one day, right? I mean, I could always go back to it because fundamentally that's who I was. So maybe I didn't give it really the credit that I should have and I, I let that chance go. So, you know, time, time went on maybe a year or so later than I graduated and of course I had to support myself. So like so many ex-writers, then I became a marketer. <laughs> and, you know, I worked for, for a startup at first and then a, a spin-off and then a conglomerate. And so I kept going to these bigger companies and getting more responsibility and kind of learning that craft. And my personal life was really busy too. So, you know, I, I met a guy and I admired his sobriety and we got married and then he relapsed and then we divorced. <laughs> so this is the capsule version. And, uh, you know, then a few years passed and then one day they're in a different city, different guy. There was just this guy with a smile who would just light up a room and he was standing in my living room and we got married. And then I had two wonderful stepdaughters out of the bargain. And through all those years and all that living, that voice was still in me. I still had that internal voice and it would come and kind of visit me, um, that kind of creative spark. And honestly, it was really kind of irritating. <laughs> because the reality was, you don't get to control when it comes to you. You know, and I might be going into a meeting, I might be cooking dinner, I might be cleaning the gutters. <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot of living going on. Um, and I couldn't just put everything down, or I, I guess I wasn't willing to, and kind of go, go attend to that. And so I learned over time how to really turn that voice down. And I did it so successfully that eventually I could just barely hear it murmuring. So I'm 50 now, um, and my stepdaughters are, to my amazement, old enough that they're heading off to college, and now they're launching in the world. And there's so many things I want to tell them. I, I, I want to tell them whatever it is that I, that I know, right? Whatever I learned, in, in case it helps. Um, and I guess the thing I mostly want to tell them is how to know what is so core to yourself that you just have to hang on to it. I mean, what's the thing that you never trade away? Right. But I think I've realized maybe you can never really tell someone else that, or not in a way that does any good. Um, maybe we all have to learn that for ourselves, and maybe I need to learn that for myself now. Um, so now, from time to time, um, I'll sit down just in, in absolute quiet, and I'll really listen until I can hear that voice inside myself, and then really slowly and carefully, I'll turn up the volume. Okay.